chapter 16. <clears throat> Jim asked me where I'd be speaking this morning. I said Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, but ultimately, Jim, it is going to be the entire book of Colossians. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is going to be the center of it all, though. Not a problem. But before we get started, let's have a word of prayer again. Lord, help us. Help us to understand what you have accomplished for us and how great your love is for us. I pray you open our eyes to see that, to understand and comprehend your grace and your mercy toward us. Help us to understand the only way we can lift holy hands is because you have applied your righteousness to us and you've washed us and when you've washed us we are clean and so Lord I pray that these truths will cause us to come to a point of rejoicing and worship and glorying in you because you are worthy so open our eyes this morning again and help us to see in your name I pray amen Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 I've preached on the passage before in past years um, but recently, in the last, I don't know, six months to a year, I've found myself wandering back to Colossians 3 again and again and again. Um, and the big reason why I find myself wandering back to Colossians chapter 3 is because when I, however long ago it was that I preached through Colossians, I think I mishandled Colossians 3, 1 through 3, actually 1 through 4. I think in some ways, I, what I said was right, but in other ways, in more fundamental ways, it perhaps was not correct. And uh, so I want to revisit the text, if that's all right with everyone, and perhaps bring something to the table for us to understand this morning that perhaps will um, benefit, encourage, exhort, minister to us um, the truth of the Scriptures in a more accurate way, if that makes sense. Um, Colossians 3, I said, whenever it was that we went through Colossians, I said that Colossians 3, 1 through 4, in a very real way, is transitionary between chapters 1 and 2 and into chapters 3 and 4, and I still maintain that. It is definitely a transitionary text. Um, he is transitioning from what could be argued um, pure theology, perhaps, uh, Christology, discussion of Christ, and chapter 3, 5, and following is in a very significant way putting flesh on it, on the truth of who Christ is and what He's accomplished. However, oftentimes what is said and what I said, in Col we're in Colossians 3, Andrew, what I said a number of, however long ago it was, weeks ago, months ago, years ago, um, about Colossians 3, 1 through 4, especially 1 through 3. Let's read the text and I'll explain it. Um, it says, Paul says simply enough, If then you have been raised with, up with Christ, or raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's the text. <clears throat> what I have said in the past, and what I have read and heard most other Christians say over the years, is something that today I'm not sure is correct. And that is where he, where he uses those two terms. First word is seek, 
And the second word is set. Seek after the things that are above. And then verse 2, set your mind on things that are above. You see those two texts? Two, two phrases? What most people do, and what I've done for years, and I would argue probably decades, is linked uh, the statement in verse 1 and the statement in verse 2 to chapter 3, verse 5 and following. And it's been linked by many and linked by me very tightly to those two. What I mean by that is that the link tightly established by me and others is that the seeking and setting our minds on is 3, 5, and following. Does that make sense? Because in 5 and following it says things like, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew and Gent or Gentile, Greek and Jew, I'm sorry, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ. But I'm sorry, Christ is all and in all. The link has been argued by myself and many others that the link between verse 1 and 2, I'm sorry, that the link that connects everything is verse 1 and 2, seeking and setting, is linked directly and inexorably to 5 and following. I just read a little section of it. It keeps going. I'm not sure that's the case. That's not very transitionary. Instead, I would argue that if you really look carefully at verse 1 through 4 of chapter 3, one would have to more carefully argue that verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 is more inexorably linked to chapters 1 and 2 than it is 3 and following. Is it linked to 3 and following? Yes. But linked to 3, 5, and following is a secondary link. Not a primary link. The primary link is chapters 1 and 2. And it's very important. And again, what I'm trying to say is that myself and many, if not most others, tend to link chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, primarily to 5 and following, and maybe to chapters 1 and 2 but most times not linked at all to chapters 1 and 2, as if it's completely separated from. At best case scenario, it's given as a secondary link. But instead, I would argue today, in my changing thinking, that chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, is most primarily, and I would argue not just most primarily, I wish there was a stronger word I could use. Like, the absolute link is to chapters 1 and 2. And then, once 1 and 2 is understood, then 3, 5, and following then find their appropriate role and powerful role. But they only find their function once the link is firmly established into chapters 1 and 2. Otherwise, what is going to happen is this. If we read chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and do the primary, which is most, 
and oftentimes only link into chapter 3, 5, and following, what we will inevitably end up with is legalism. Because chapter 3, verses 1 through, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 3, verses 5 and following will have no real solid basis. No foundation. No real foundation. Quite to the contrary. Chapters 1 and 2 establish the understanding and bring chapter 3, 5, and following into its proper role. So, why do I say this? Well, one of the keys, one of the keys that, that tell us what I'm talking about here is that simple word, then. If then. Those two words, if then, are absolutely linked back to chapters 1 and 2. In other words, when Paul writes chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 3, and he says, starting out in chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, He's demanding that the readers do something. That is, they reflect back and remember and meditate on what he already said. The if-then is reflecting back on everything he just said in chapters 1 and 2. Now I'm going to ask you this numerous times because I want to make sure we get it. Does that make sense at this point to everyone? I hope that makes sense to everyone. For Paul, that statement cannot be presumed. That is, not just a statement if you've been raised with Christ. Chapters 1 and 2 can't be presumed either. You see, typically what happens with the way I used to preach the text when I did, and the way I see most other people uh, preaching the text as well as most people who write on this text, they say, if you've been raised with Christ, and some people... Um, we'll look at the King James where it says since. If you have the King James, it says since you have been raised with Christ, I believe. Since is probably not the right translation of the text. It really is an if. If then you have been raised with Christ. Because the point is not Paul trying to declare you have. It's Paul declaring the point of if you have been. There should be certain ramifications of that. Now, with that in mind, if then you have been raised with Christ... Typically, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The typical pastor or typical commentator on the text has often said this. If you've been raised, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. That is five and following. You should do this and do this and do this and not do this and not do this and not do this and not do this. And that's the point that's being driven towards in the first section. In the statement, seek after the things, or seek the things which are above, it's things you should and shouldn't do. And then when you get to set your minds on things that are above, not on the earth, not the things that are on the earth, the same, the point is made, the setting your mind is to make sure that your mind is also doing the things it should be doing and not doing the things it shouldn't be doing. So, for example, if I may use as an example, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. We'll just stop on that one. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality be folded back to verse 1. Seek the things which are above where Christ is, see at the right hand of God. Which means don't do, don't practice what? Sexual immorality. 
set your minds on things above, which should mean, which would then therefore mean what? Don't let your mind even go there. Does that make sense? That's typically how the text is presented. And that's typically how I've presented it. I would submit to you that is at best secondary. That is not primary. And I, I, again, I wish I could draw the primary and secondary things more starkly because primary is vastly primary. Secondary is much, le much more secondary. Le important, I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm trying to maximize the primary. Because I think that's what Paul's doing here. And I think we've messed it up, and I know I have, many times. So, before we get out of the text, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in chapter 3, 1 through 4 itself. I'm going to spend some time to prime the pump, and then we're going to read the entire book and try to see if there's a consistency in this. So he says, if then, and I would argue that the if then is reflecting backwards on what he said in chapters 1 and 2, but notice, if then you have been raised with Christ, which tells us something, doesn't it? In the statement, in the in the statement, that, that subjunctive statement, if then you have, if you have been raised with Christ, says something, what does it say? What are some of the things it says? One of the big things it says, if you're not careful, you'll miss it. What's the one big thing it says? Yeah, besides the if that I've already mentioned. You're right, though. No, that's secondary. What, what's first? That's secondary. What's first? Yes, the primary thing is that Christ was raised. If Christ wasn't raised, this goes back to our Resurrection Day study, right? If Christ wasn't raised, then all this is meaningless. Exactly, if Christ hasn't been raised, then, then you can't be raised either. There's no resurrection, you're doomed, right? So the most primary thing in verse 1 is what? Christ is raised, and that's what he talks about in chapters 1 and 2, by the way. Partially, it's some of the things he talks about. Really important. Crucial. And we just kind of gloss over it because we want to get to what I got to do. Seek and set, right? No, one of the most primary things in the whole text is Christ has been raised, amen? He is risen. What? Yeah, absolutely. He is risen. I know it's not Resurrection Sunday, we can say that anyway, right? Because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? Okay. The very clear thing that Paul is driving home here is firstly, Christ has been risen. And he remains risen. He's a living redeemer. The, te the text gives that idea, doesn't it? Right? Because Christ is now where? He's not dead. He's not in the grave. He's what? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? Yeah. That's, that's going to come really crucial in just a second. So we have the statement, if then you, so the question is not if Christ has, that's, that, that's, a, that, that's clearly Declared, right? In the, earlier in the text in Colossians, we see it elsewhere. The Gospels, Ephesians, it's everywhere, isn't it? Christ is raised. So the question, or the, the statement he's giving here is probably better put, the, the statement he's making here is for those who are in Christ. If you have been raised, because if you're in Christ, that means you have to have been raised, right? And we talked about, on Resurrection Sunday, a dual resurrection, didn't we? 
that there's a two-resurrection theme in the Scriptures. The one is our first resurrection from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2, which is a real resurrection. And we have another resurrection yet to come. If you have been... This, this text is talking about that first resurrection. If then you have been risen with Christ, which means that Christ has been raised, and if He has... And if you are a believer, you also have been raised with Christ. If you have, he goes on and he says, seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The question that has to be asked in that second phrase and the third phrase of verse 1 is what are these things? Because he says what? Seek the things that are above. And then he says, it begs the question, or maybe that's the wrong term, but it demands that we answer the question, what are the things that are above? And our tendency has been, again, as I already said, to rush off to verse 5 and following. I would present to you that is not the case. And this verse itself gives us the first clue. It's not the case, or the second clue. The first clue is if then. The second clue comes immediately afterwards when he says, seek the things that are above. He clarifies what he means when he says, seek the things that are above with the very next statement. Where Christ is. And then he clarifies it even further, seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean when he says, seated at the right hand of God? Well, let me just explain to you briefly what that term in the Scriptures is trying to cause our minds, redeemed minds, to remember. If he's seated, as it says here, at the right hand of God, elsewhere in the Scripture, being seated is upon a... Not a chair, right? On a throne. That's presented numerous times in the Scriptures, isn't it? Now, when we talk about being seated on a throne and He's at the right hand of the Father, what does that conjure up in the mind if we are thinking through the Scriptures? What's that? King and mediator, which folds into the idea of, I'll help you out, blank of God. Starts with a K. Blank of God. Kingdom, thank you. Kingdom of God, does it not? And rightfully so. He's on a throne. Well, the throne of what? There's got to be a kingdom. There's got to be. There's a dual throne going on here, right? There's a, king, there's a throne of the Father and the throne of Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. You get the idea. It's a kingdom thing, isn't it? Now, could I just submit something to you by way of discussion? Is it possible? This, this is going to help clarify what we're talking about here. Is it possible to avoid sexual immorality and not be after the kingdom of God? Absolutely. 
Now, if that's true, and we all agree, right? It's very possible. There's a lot of there, there's a lot of unsaved people who are not sexually immoral. Not all unsaved people are sexually immoral. There's a lot of unsaved people who are sexually who are not sexually immoral, but they're not after the kingdom of God, are they? Are they even interested in the kingdom of God? No, they're part of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, aren't they? The opposing kingdom. They're a hundred, they're all in, aren't they? To the opposing kingdom. So we have to realize right off the bat, therefore, if I may throw in a therefore then, I've been following cannot be the grand summation of chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, or the grand focus of chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. There are a whole lot of people who could be avoiding sexual immorality, not practicing sexual immorality, but not about the kingdom of God. So we have several reasons why we cannot just rush off to three, five, and following before we really connect the dots here. Firstly, it's the if-then looking backwards. The idea that Christ is raised, and if we're a believer, we're raised with Him. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, mediator over His people, right? And ruler of the kingdom. Now, when, when, when we fold all that together, we have to acknowledge, stepping out of Colossians for a second, Matthew 28, pretty clear in the Great Commission, correct? How much authority or power has been given to Jesus? All authority, all power has been given to Him, right? Make sense? That's kingdom stuff, isn't it? That's kingdom stuff. He has all authority, all power, kingdom words. Then, staying outside of Colossians for a second, we jump over to Matthew chapter, what is it, 7? Where he, uh, he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Remember it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Correct? Where, where is the throne? Where's Jesus' throne? Next to the Father. Where? In heaven. It's all kingdom. These are all kingdom things, aren't they? Kingdom of God things. So what is he saying? And I'm being really general, general and, and generic at this point at some level. If you then be risen with Christ, seek the things that are above. What are the things above? In light of what we just said. It's kingdom of God. And all the, the, the nuance and all of the teachings and all of the clarifications, biblical clarifications of what that is. What Paul, in other words, and I'm being, again, really general, using a very, very broad brush, purposefully, Paul is saying, if you then be risen with Christ, seek after His kingdom. It's consistent with everything else in the Scriptures. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I've said this many times before. In my life. Right? That's, that's the idea. In my life. In my little world. As it is in heaven. And I've described it even this way, haven't I? That the Lord's Prayer is really talking about, Lord, may I be a little moving Kingdom of heaven. 
kingdom of God here on this earth. Everywhere I go, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Light in the midst of darkness. Light, light in the midst of darkness. Make sense? That's the idea. May your kingdom come here. Where? Where? Well, it certainly isn't going to certainly isn't going to come in an unsaved person, right? It's going to come in a saved person, somebody who's made alive. Your kingdom come on earth here as this in heaven. Ultimately, it'll be everywhere, right? Because all unsaved people will be in hell. Till that day, you and I, if we've been raised with Christ, we are what? To be what? Moving kingdoms of God. Living, breathing, little kingdoms of God. That's the point of the text. That's the point of the prayer. That's the point of this. If you've been raised with Christ, seek what? Simply said, seek the kingdom. That's the point. Being general, seek the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, that's when we get into Colossians chapter 1 and 2 and read through it. We're going to even see it in 3 and 4, by the way. As we read through it, we'll see it. Seek the things, and it is plural, things, because the kingdom of God is not monolithic, is it? It's got all sorts of statements. Are there not numerous perspectives of the kingdom of God in the Scriptures? Of course there are. And the, the kingdom of God certainly gets specified in all aspects of life, too, doesn't it? And we're going to see that. Then verse 2, Paul goes on and says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, is just another way of looking at the same thing. Seek the things of the kingdom and have your mind consumed with the things of the kingdom is the perspective. And in fact, even verse 2 has a kingdom um, uh, idea, a very strong kingdom idea, but now it becomes competitive kingdom perspective here, doesn't it? In verse 2 it says, set your mind on things above, kingdom of God, not on things of this world or the earthly kingdom. What's he talking about? He's not talking about anything different. He's just clarifying. Be after the things of the kingdom of God in your mind, not after the kingdom that is in this world. And one of the implications of verse 2, when he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth, is this. This earthly kingdom is in opposition. That's the point. Because he's, he's, in verse 2, is he not establishing an opposition perspective? Isn't it? Yes. Clearly an opposition perspective? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world are, to, are in opposition to one another. His call here is to fill our minds with the kingdom of God's stuff, the heavenly stuff, not the kingdom of this world stuff. In any way, form, or fashion. And it still sounds, if we're not careful, like, well, that's three, five, and following, doesn't it? No! It's not! 
If we, I would argue if we fill our minds with the kingdom of God stuff, not the kingdom of this world stuff, the result is going to be five and following. Now, I'm not trying to deny or minimize the commands and prohibitions we see in three through five and following. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But as we've already established, if we just simply pursue or primarily pursue verses 3 through 5, we will be nothing more than a legalist. And we'll have nice, cleaned up lives, right? And it'll be nice and orderly. And God will say, What? I don't even know you. Boy, that passage now becomes really significant, doesn't it? The people were doing all those things, and they didn't know you. Another way to put that is you knew nothing about the kingdom of God. You didn't seek after the kingdom of God. You didn't seek, you didn't set your mind on the, on, on the things above. You just did all sorts of things in my name. I didn't know you. Depart from me. So he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are in the earth. Why? Well, verse 3 helps us a lot. Why? Should I, to go back to the Lord's Prayer, want to see God's kingdom come? And all the ramifications of that, of that Lord's Prayer text. Why? Why is found in verse 3. Why? Because or for you have what? Died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life that you knew pre-salvation has what? Died. Why would you seek after things of this earth if your life pre-Christ has died? Why would you set your mind on that kingdom and the stuff of that kingdom If you've died, you're like you've died. A very strong understanding of that is you've died to who you were entirely, and you were made alive to Christ. So our life as we knew it before our salvation has died. And he goes on and he says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Which means what? If it's hidden with Christ in God, where's Christ? In this text? Right hand of the Father. Your life is hidden in the center of the kingdom of God. So, this is why we should be, what? Seeking and setting our minds, seeking after and setting our minds on God's kingdom stuff. Why? Because it's where you are. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then... you also will appear with Him in glory. If, going back to verse 1, what? 
if you have been raised up with Christ. Now when He appears, right now we're hidden, right? We're in the kingdom, we're hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, who is your life, and we can't miss that, that phrase, when Christ who is your life, what happened to your life? What happened to your life? It died. When Christ who is present, active, indicative, when Christ, or when Christ appears, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. How could you not? Correct? How could you not? If your life is hidden with Him, when He appears, the hidden is over. When He appears, we'll appear with Him. Correct? Which then brings us to verse 5, which we'll get into later. So, what I want to do is, I want to start in verse 1 of chapter 1, and I'm going to read and just pause. A different, little different of a message. I'm just going to pause occasionally and point something out, and then we're going to move on. And we're going to see how Paul's argument is consistent all the way up to chapter 3, verse 1, that this is not primarily about 5 and following. This is primarily about chapter 1 and 2. Where should we be, or I'm going to change that, what should we be seeking? That's the question, right? What should our minds be set on? That's the question, is it not? Even just in 1 through 3, we know that the text is pretty clear Christ, isn't it? It's pretty clear. Not, it's not avoiding immorality, sexual immorality. It's being on Christ, right? That's pretty clear just in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We'll... We're sorry, but due to a technical difficulty, we were unable to record the remainder of this message. However, we felt the portion we did get recorded contained useful enough information to make it worth posting here. We are sorry for any inconvenience this may have caused. Thank you.